Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton Center. We just wrapped up an Ag PhD tiling clinic. And I was just telling our audience here, hey, during our show today, it's all your questions. So if you've got a question for us, just raise your hand and one of our people will come around to you with the mic real quick. And uh, if you could just give us your first name and, and the state you're from, that'd be great. And just go ahead and ask the question. But probably one of the biggest questions I always get about drain tile, it really has nothing to do with the farm benefits of it. It's Oh, all the environmental things. So some people will even say, well, with tiling, you're going to pollute the water. And I go, come on. Here's what ends up happening. So just think about water soaking down in through your soil. By the time it gets down to the tile line that's three, four, five feet deep, soil is about the best water filter you could possibly find. And that water is going to come out really clean. So is it possible? that some amount of nitrate could get down in that water? Sure it is, but don't forget the drinking water standard for nitrate nitrogen is 10 parts per million. We've tested our tile lines so many times over the years, we almost never find nitrate above 10 parts per million. So most all the time, it is certainly drinking water quality. Well, here's the other thing about that is that if you're raising a good crop, you're less likely to have more nitrate getting into the water. When you have a poor crop, when you have an area that's not well drained, and you don't get much yield. Say you get 50 bushel corn. Well, how much nitrate is going to come through the soil in that spot when there's no crop to be taking this nitrogen up? That's, that's been proven in studies as well. When we were about to wrap up the tiling clinic too, I said one of the biggest things for me on our farm, and granted, uh, we've just had so much gain in terms of yield and our soil's a lot healthier and all this. That's been awesome. But one of the biggest things for me is it can make farming fun again on your farm. If you have areas that are poorly drained and you're farming them, then you're probably having the same issues we used to have too. We'd be getting stuck. We had poor yield. We had our salt levels increasing. We had what we call alkali spots out there and just flat out unhealthy soil. It was terrible. And now we're able to farm straight through in our fields. The soil is a lot healthier. Uh, we're getting a lot higher yields. There's actually less water going downstream now when you think about it through our tie lines. Some of our tie lines barely even run anymore because our yields are so high. We are using that water. So anyway, it's, it, it's really been awesome. I, 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 we talk all the time about tiling here on the show. And, and the reason we do is because if you try to make any farm investment out there, I don't care what it is, on fertilizer, herbicide, seed, you name it, anything, it's not going to pay off nearly as well if you have poor drainage, period. It isn't. And you can read in almost any farm magazine now, they're talking about plant health and soil health and all these things. You can't have a healthy soil if you don't have good levels of air in that soil. Sure, you need water. But tiling doesn't take all your water away. All it does is removes the excess. You can still have what we call field capacity for water, even with tile in that ground. You know, one of the big things, Brian, that I see when we, we talk about weed problems, disease problems, all these things, if we've got a healthy crop, we're much better able to tolerate those things. And when we've got 
too much water, we've got poor drainage, we don't have enough oxygen out there, a lot of times we end up with more issues. When you talk about sudden death syndrome in soybeans, what's one of the first things that we see? Well, it's in the poorly drained areas where it's going to be. It's going to be in compacted areas. Where do we see more compaction? Where we have poor drainage, where the soil's wet longer, yep. those types of things. Where do we have more white mold in soybeans and other crops? We have that in areas where the soil sudden is Sudden death wet syndrome. Longer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can run th through a whole list of diseases and problems in your crop. And, you know, a lot of times, too, people will say, well, you guys just want us to spray this fungicide, spray that, and all. No, the first thing we want you to look at is a cultural practice. Fix the drainage. If you have a healthy environment for your crop, it, it hopefully is going to do well, and you don't even have to use a fungicide. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting is, okay, uh, before there were, were uh, roads and settlements and all these things right here, the drainage was probably just fine. But I look at where a lot of our drainage issues are on our farm. It's where a road is at. And all of a sudden, here's a road that never existed there before. Well, do the roads go deeper? And do we dip down in for the roads? No, we want them up high. We want No, we want the road up in the air so the snow blows across it, the water doesn't go across it, all those things. And as we basically build dams every one mile uh, in, our, in our area, there's a road every one mile. Well, every one mile out in the country, there's a dam. And well, we've got something that's going to stop. Now, we're supposed to have culverts through the low parts in as many of those as we can. But, man, have you noticed where the culverts are at in your area? I know we had a culvert that was halfway up the hill. Well, actually, a couple spots I can think of right at the top of my head yep. where the culvert's actually about halfway up the hill. I don't know how that ended up getting placed where it did. But uh, certainly, as we've changed the topography out here, well, we have to address that with what we're doing. Yeah, even too. even fence lines. I went round and round with NRCS for a couple of years because they, they said, oh, you got a wetland here. And I go, no, we don't. They go, well, look at it. And I said, well, you look at the fence line. The fence line, I didn't put the fence line in, okay? That's man-made. And the, the fence line, because the, the previous farmer didn't clean out the dirt in the fence line, now that's holding things up. I said, look, it drops off like 50 feet in a quarter mile after that, or maybe more, is 100 feet or something. It's just a huge slope right after that. I go, it's a man-made dam. Man-made is not a natural wetland. You can't have a man-made natural wetland. No way. So, and then eventually they go, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right on that deal. So well, then they had some, to declare it not some a of that wetland. stuff, like you say, most people have got some common sense and are, are able to talk with you. And you say, you know what? Here's what's really happening out here. Hardly anybody is going to know your fields the way you do. That, they aren't out there walking every square mile to, to see exactly what's going on out there. If you actually take them out and say, look, this is what's going on. You can talk rationally. Things usually get settled. Now, if you're going to yell at them and if Brian was out there just hollering at him, oh, you're a dummy, and what are you thinking here, whatever, just yell, 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 well, uh, he's going to shut down and be defensive too. Uh, so you got to be a little smart about it. And if you're, if you're the guy that gets kind of hot like that, maybe somebody else needs to go out and, and walk alongside that person and talk reasonably because most of the time when two reasonable humans get together, especially in agriculture, we can find a solution to whatever the problem is. Well, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are broadcasting following a tiling clinic today, and we'll be right back after this. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey, Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real. But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming! 
We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah. It's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then. Get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. Applying nitrogen in my planter is an important part of our system. It's efficient and puts nitrogen right in the root zone. Hi, Greg Souter. 360 tanks make on-planter nitrogen much easier. Those 700-gallon tanks keep the tractor balanced, distributing weight evenly over the axles, and they give me great visibility. Plus, with a narrow transport width, mailboxes are safe. Take a good look at 360 Yield Center tractor tanks and see how they help boost efficiency at planting time. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeereEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. Back, you're listening to Ag BHD Radio. We are just down the road from the Morton studio today. We're at the Morton Center at the Ag BHD Field Day site, following an Ag BHD tiling clinic today. And I can see equipment. I can see farmers crawling around on equipment. Brian, that can be a big distraction sometimes from a meeting. But a lot of good information to talk about tiling. Some of the the benefits, of course, that are out there. Uh, some of the ways that some of the suggestions we've got just from our experience working with landlords and neighbors, those kinds of things. It's really good to talk about those things and uh, get some different ideas. Maybe if, if you get rented ground too, I know we get a lot of questions about, boy, I got this landlord and uh, his ground really needs to be tiled. How do we, how do we best go about negotiating that? Or how do we uh, convince them that, that it would be a good thing for them and for us? Yeah. The only problem with that, Darren, is it's just like in our experience. So we get, we do all this tile work and work together with our landlords. And then the day comes and we have the opportunity to buy the ground. And all of a sudden the heirs go, well, our ground is really great. And I'm like, dang, yes, we, we helped you make your ground really great. Now it's worth a whole bunch more money, but whatever. It it is a big win for, for the landlord when you have good soil. And I'll tell you too, if you ever go to a farm auction, if there's tile in the ground, they're they're usually telling you about 16 times over just to make sure you know, hey, we've got this ground well-drained, at least in our region of the country. All right, we had a question come in from Lachlan here who said, uh, we've got a heavy soil, CEC is 35, and soil composition about 40, 45% clay, uh, 30% sill, 30% sand, and high magnesium, low calcium. I'm just wondering, with that type of heavy ground and high magnesium, lots of clay, uh, what would you use for a recommendation on tile spacing and depth? Uh, also, are there any other steps that you would do in that type of soil to make a tiling project successful? Where? Uh, does not say. Well, the reason, and the reason why I ask where is I'm curious how much rainfall they get. 
So if it's 20 inches, that's a lot different than 60 inches. But anyway, um, yeah, with, with the super heavy ground, I'll just tell you, we have tiled river bottom stuff, even like, uh, so today during the tiling clinic, we were talking about that 75-acre field where we put in uh, all these miles of tile. Uh, that was also high magnesium content. And what we did over the years, we've used some lime, we've used some gypsum to try to change that calcium-magnesium ratio. But when you have super heavy soil, you just have to have the tile lines closer together. We've had, we have some where, I'm trying to think the narrowest we've gone, 20-foot spacings. We've done quite for, a bit at 25 big, and 30. For big areas, but even for small areas, could go even a little bit tighter than that if you needed to in a little poorly drained pocket. Yes, absolutely. And that's the other thing is, is it the whole field that's this way? Because we've had it, well, even like in the 75-acre field we're using as an example here, the, they're, they're, the field isn't consistent from one end to the other. So we do have areas in the field where we're at 50-foot spacings. And then we have other areas where we're at 25 or 30. So I, I, that's initially what I'm thinking is most likely in that heavy ground, you're probably going to need to be 25, 30-foot spacings. But here's one other way you could do it. If you put in main lines that are big enough, let's say your main lines are huge, and then you want to put some laterals at 50-foot spacings. And you say, you know what, that's good enough for right now. Then over time, you just see, hey, if that's all I can afford today, well, maybe later you split those tile lines. You put in uh, lines in between, so now you're at 25 feet. I just be prepared had a, to had do a, that. I had a good friend of mine that did exactly that because we were talking about his ground, lots of clay, flat soil. And he's like, boy, he goes, it's going to cost me some money. And he was putting the tile in himself. He said, it's going to cost me some money to do it how you want. Because I said, you probably want to be about 20-foot spacings, as heavy as this ground is, as flat as it is. We can only make so much slope here. And he's like, ah, I don't think I can afford that. I'm going to go, I think he did 50-foot spacings. And when he did that, his first year, his corn crop, you could literally see every 50 feet, it was taller. Every 50 feet all the way through the field. And he's like, okay, so we're partway into the season, and you can really see this unevenness. And he's like, man, you're right. It really is different. Because I, I told him that's what I'd expect. I'd expect over the tie lines it's going to be much better. And he goes, what do I do now to look at? And I said, now, do, now dig some roots up. See where that root system's at. He's like, holy cow, the root system's so much better right over those tie lines. And I said, exactly. Wouldn't you like it if every one of your plants is like that? Well, yeah. I said, then narrow up the spacing. He goes, ah. Oh. <laughs> but they ended up doing it, and it's been fantastic for them, and, and they've more than doubled their yield in that, that field. Oh, uh, Lachlan is down in Australia. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I have no idea how much rain he gets. Yeah, that, that'd be <laughs> the question. About, about 30 inches, he says. About okay. 30 inches annually. So, yep. so a little bit more than here, maybe more like Iowa, something like that, uh, Iowa rainfall. Yeah, not quite. But anyway, sure. Well, better than here. Okay, uh, I got one from Luke, another heavy soil question. He said, I've got heavy soil, and my soil is 25 to 30 CEC, but I have small pockets, or, or ribbons as I call them, of sand on the hillsides. And I'm just wondering, if I tile, are those sandy spots going to burn up faster if I tile through them? I'm really not that worried about it. I'm really not, because if it's sand, the... the I mean, you got to think about in sand, the, the water's already running through it. it here's, here's the biggest thing, Brian. If we can get roots to get down deeper sooner, that's the thing that's going to help us out when it gets dry. And if that water table is high, even in the sand, your roots are only going to go till you hit that water table. So if you've got the water table down a little bit, your roots will grow early in the season deeper, and that's going to give you a lot more protection against drought. 
So, yeah, I, I don't think so. We've got some some ribbons of sand and, and some sandier spots in some of our fields, too. Uh, I would not say this has been a negative. In fact, uh, we've got one field where it's got a lot of sand that we've we've basically drained water into the sandy pocket on uh, or, or some ground that we used to farm anyway. And that was that was a positive for the most part. Yeah, and, you know, the other way is if you can avoid the areas with sand, yeah. obviously you don't need tile. Yeah, there, and, so. and that's the other thing, Luke. That's a good point, Brian, because you don't have to pattern tile. Right. You can definitely draw the tile however you want to out in the field and, and make it work. Okay, uh, let's see. This one comes in from M. Uh, I will have to get some custom tiling done. Most will knife the tile in. Well, one has a wheel trencher. I'm concerned about the wheel trencher, that it will leave more uh, of a, a big hump of soil when he's done because he's digging a two-foot-wide trench. Just curious, is that a big deal? Is it just a one-year issue, or is it a non-issue? Um, well, it's most likely a one-year issue. I'm not that worried about it as long as we're not taking subsoil and bringing it up to the top or anything like that. So if all it is is, oh, it's a bigger hump, it, yeah, it's one year. That, that's what I say to most people when they're going through tiling, even for us on our own farm. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hassle. You got one year of problems, especially when you're tiling in crop like we do quite often because now you got to go along with the combine and uh, guys aren't real happy when they're going over those areas, but it's one year. Okay, uh, John asked a question about drainage coefficient. He said, can you explain how to calculate or determine the drainage coefficient? Yeah, and I didn't spend much time on that here today, but I'd, I'd just say a drainage coefficient is simply how much water do you want to get rid of per acre per day? And it's a judgment call. So I can't say, oh, for sure you should be at a half inch or a quarter inch or three quarters of an inch. It's up to you on what you want to do. So I, I, I will say one of the things that I mentioned during our workshop today is our dad was originally from north central Iowa where everything was pattern tile. And he just said, guys, if you can afford it, you always want to upsize your tile lines. So in other words, I, and granted, I, I mean, when we first started tiling, I was trying to be as, uh, trying to be as cheap as possible and still get the job done. And I figured a quarter inch or three eighths of an inch drainage coefficient, that's good enough. We're in dryland, South Dakota. But basically his advice was no, figure a half inch or five eighths of an inch or something like that, if you can afford it. So that's really what it amounts to. And you can start looking at uh, a variety of things, whether it's, okay, how big are my normal rains? How much rainfall do I get on average? How much rain do I get early in the growing season? Because late in the growing season, let's face it, your crop could use, your corn could use crazy amounts of moisture every day. So we don't have drainage issues in August here when we got all this crop that we're raising. Uh, so, I mean, lots of ways to do that and calculate that out and just, you know, make a judgment call. But here's the thing. I always tell people, I kind of like it when I make the judgment call rather than having somebody else do it because then there's nobody to blame but me. If it's ground I own, I'm the one who screwed it up. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, and we do get this question a lot, Brian, is, man, do you guys, you guys talk about mistakes you made on the farm uh, a lot. And, yeah, we do because we don't want you to make the same ones, and we want all of us to learn from mistakes. And so, yeah, we do talk to a lot of farmers. We do hear... Uh, a lot of things that guys would do different, and so we try to share that as much as we can. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic, and we'll be right back after this.
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are not taking your calls today, but if you have an agronomic question for us, you can sure email us, radio at agphd.com, and we'll, we'll try to get to that today, too. Uh, we've got a live audience here following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic, and we're taking questions from our audience. Also, uh, our Tiling Clinic was available online today, uh, and you can check out all the details at agphd.com under the events tab for, for some of our events. It's been really kind of one of the maybe one of the only positives out of the whole pandemic is uh, we got a lot better with our technology to do virtual meetings and those types of things where uh, before that we didn't really have a lot of online availability for some of these meetings but we do now uh, and we're taking questions online from those that are watching this and listening to it online 
All right, John has a good question here, and we talk a lot about uh, what the what the water table is. Or I'm sorry, David. David had a question on the water table. He said, "How does one determine and measure the water table?" And you know, we got a couple of things here. First of all, if you have an open well, you can see. Uh, if you have a shallow well, you can run a tape down and see where where that water lines at. Sometimes you can just see because water's everywhere around you, and you can see, oh yeah, it's about two feet down from the surface of my soil in all my drainage ditches or whatever. You can kind of see where it's at too. Uh, the other thing that you can do is the U.S. Geological Service has uh, a groundwater monitoring system. They have the National Water Information System that's free. Uh, you can go there and look for any of their wells that they've got near you. We happen to have one of the USGS wells right at the end of one of our fields, and it's, it's right down on the river bottom just uh, a couple of miles as the crow flies from here. And that's pretty nice for us because we can monitor where that water table's at. And you would think, boy, I bet that water table's pretty close. You've gotten some rain. You got a lot of snow. There isn't much frost in the ground. In fact, uh, one of our neighbors at farms just right across the road uh, said he was digging in the snow, and there, there was no frost in the ground once he got underneath all that snow. Uh, hopefully, that's the case in a lot of our ground, too, so that water just soaks right in. That'd be great. But our water table, even on the bottom ground, is down quite a ways, over over 9 feet, not quite 10 feet down at this point. So we're, we're ready to take on some of this snow melt moisture. Hey, thanks for the question, David. I've uh, got a question right here. Let's, let's take that. Uh, Matthias from Minnesota. Uh, we got a farm that's got some spots of low soil pH, like mid-4s, 5s and did a pattern tile job on it this fall. Do you think you'd recommend going out there and liming before next spring, or would you wait to see what that tile could do to improve the You know, the this, this is an interesting question, too. So you did pattern tiling. Have you done any tillage after the pattern tiling, or are you planning on doing any tillage in the spring to kind of level things out? Yeah, we'll probably hit it with the cultivator. It might be an opportunity well, to till in that lime, too, if you're going to lime it. Yeah, so uh, uh, tiling isn't going to fix your low pH, the only thing that could possibly happen, let's say that you had uh, deep black soil and your top four inches was five pH and your next four inches was six and a half pH and you tilled all that together, maybe that evens it out a little bit. But I mean, from what you're describing here, I can't imagine you wouldn't benefit from having some lime out there. You don't have, I don't know that you need to get carried away necessarily, but if it's me, I'm going to put some lime out, especially considering I just tiled, which now basically means you got to work the ground to even, you know, level things out a little bit. So if you're going to till, I'd get the lime out there before I, before I till. Yeah, just, That's what I do. just honestly, just a half a mile straight north of here, I've got some ground in the same exact situation where we needed to tile. Uh, we also had some pH that dipped as low as into the fours. Yep. We went out and put the lime uh, before we even got in there with the tile plow. We just were like, get the tile or get the lime coming as fast as we can. Uh, so we got it out and got it spread, and, and we also got some tiling done. I'd like a little bit more done out there, but kind of so, got cold on us too fast. So one of the things we've done for the last five years is compared all our soil test grid points to yield. And I will just tell you, when we've had pH down into the fours and fives, something like that, um, it's hurt corn pretty bad. In some years, it's been 50 bushels. So I'd get the lime out there. Yep. All right. Yep, Let's take our next question back there. Yeah, if you're looking at uh, back in the 70s, my dad did 100-foot pattern tiling yep. in an 80-acre field. Yep. And 
if we want to improve the drainage in between that and, and gain the benefits um, with, say, 50-foot tiling, mm -hmm. putting it at the same depth, I think it was about six and a half or seven foot, um, what does that do to the table? Uh, does it, is it a negative impact to go that same depth, or should we go shallower, or what should we do? <laughs> well, that's a real judgment call. Where are you from? Uh, Central Minnesota. Yeah, okay. I was going to say there are a lot of people in Minnesota that we've worked with over the years where they said, okay, uh, my grandpa put in 100-foot spacings. Dad put in and split it down to 50. I'm doing some down to 25 now. But I haven't heard much where it's been six or six and a half feet. Yeah. Fortunately, a lot of the guys had put it in four feet, which isn't bad. At six or six and a half feet, my personal feeling is that's, that's really so, deep. So why did guys go that deep, Brian? They went that deep so then they could have the lines further apart. Because what will happen is in between, then it's going to basically come up. So, I, I, I mean... I know we've got an illustration in the book where between the two tile lines, you see the water table kind of a, a bubble in between them. I don't know exactly where that's going to get 100 feet apart, how, how close the surface that's going to get. And, but and that's kind of the question. Depends is, on soil type. Yeah, if you feel that drainage is getting hurt in between those lines or and yield is getting hurt there... I mean, honestly, if it was me, I'd probably put it in shallow. But the problem with putting it in shallow is now, what are you going to do? You're going to have to, and it's no big deal because we've done this before too. You drop way down right at where that uh, that main Connection is. Yeah, right, right where that main is at. I, I think so. I would go in shallow in between them personally. Yep, and, and I would too. You know, to me, I think you're dealing with the bubble that's in between the two lines. Yep. And if you say, you know what, it's not even going to run until it gets up to three feet from the surface, I think that'd be great. That's what I would do. Yeah, so a lot of people in Minnesota will go four foot for depth. Um, we go three because we're a little bit drier. And so it's somewhere kind of in there is usually what we talk to people about. But, yeah, that's the reason why they, they went so deep. And I, I was talking earlier today about some uh, tile line that uh, we found that was at least 100 years old. Well, back way back then, they used to put the lines in at six feet or more deep. Um, and the main reason why is because if you think about it, back in the early 1900s, there was one thing that they didn't have, money. So the only thing they had to spend money on was the actual tile line. They had excess labor. And so a lot of times they'd even go do the digging by hand in the wintertime. I mean, that just sounds like a well, horrible job I'll, to me, six feet deep, but I'll, that's what they'd do. I'll tell a story uh, less than 10 miles away from here to the south. There was a farmer a few years back that was at one of these tiling clinics and and he was in his, uh, I think, early 70s at that time. And he said he remembered when he was a little kid seeing his dad and his grandpa, they would, they would stack straw bales up wherever they were going to dig a tile line in so they could keep going into the winter. And he said, I literally remember watching the snowflakes fly, and here are two grown men out there digging by hand, six feet deep, putting a tile line in. And he said, I just thought, I had so much respect for my dad and my grandpa. I was like, man, those guys are men. Man, they're tough. And he said, so now, you know, here I am in, in my 70s, and, and we've had to dig up a few of those lines that had collapsed or filled in or whatever over time. And he said, so we had a backhoe out. We weren't doing it by hand. We got a backhoe out. And I'm kind of thinking, huh, those guys were tough. Man, they were tough. I'm not near as tough. I'm using this backhoe out here. He goes, and then as I was digging, found a couple whiskey bottles here and there as I was going along the trail. And I thought, okay, that probably helped them get through some of those cold days a little bit better. 
But you're right. It was a lot of hand labor. And, man, if I had to do that, there's no way I'm doing pattern tile on 20-foot spacing. Oh, I'd run, out of, I'd run out of years before I got it all done. Now, I would also say we have worked with quite a few guys over the years who've had stuff deep. And they go, ah, some stuff has collapsed. It's not working the best. And so they just forget all about it and assume there's no tile in the field. And they just redo the whole thing based on whatever spacing they want and, and put, put in more shallow. With the equipment that we have today also, we can be very accurate in terms of the slope and all that. So we have a better chance of this yeah. tile lasting a really long time. Hey, and that reminds me too. A lot of those tile lines are not mapped out very well, the, the old ones that are put in. <laughs> or and at all. I have talked to a number of farmers uh, over my career too that have said, you know, Grandpa remembers where those lines are at, and he's really good at they're, they're this far from this and whatever, and he knows all the boundaries and where the old tree used to be that we now tore down that used to be his guidepost. Uh, make sure if you have those kind of situations on your farm, you get things mapped out soon. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Listening to Ag PhD Radio today. A lot of talk about drainage tile because we're following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic today. If you want more details on that, you can visit agphd.com. Uh, Brian, I know whenever we talk tiling, you talk so passionately about it just because of the difference it's made on our farms. Uh, I have talked to a few guys today too that that feel the exact same way. Whether it's uh, hey, we've had an issue with poor irrigation water. This has allowed us to keep. Uh, irrigating and flush out anything that's bad that's in that irrigation water. Uh, I had others that have said, man, I've just had a buildup of salts because I've got really poorly drained soil and that's really helped us. Others have just said, I can't believe it. I thought you guys were kidding when you said I'd probably get 25% more yield. Uh, I've gotten that and maybe even more. So lots of great stories. It's kind of the fun thing whenever you bring farmers together. Well, the other thing is it, it continues to get better over time is what we found. So it's not, oh, year one, and that's all the gain you're ever going to have. You're just going to continue making that soil healthier. All right, we got a ne- our next question in the back. If you could, just give us your first name and the state you're from. That'd be great. Alan from Minnesota. You were saying you aren't big on inlets or standpipes. Is there yep. something else you can do where water likes to pond? Okay. I, yeah, and I apologize. Besides I, rent I, the ground out to your brother. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good option. Uh, I, I, I didn't get to that, and I didn't cover that when, when I was talking here during the tiling clinic. But what we will typically do is we will put a whole bunch of tile lines closer together, uh, more shallow. So let's call it 15-foot spacing, 2-foot depth, uh, maybe two and, and a half. And, if we and have we're talking to. about small, small areas. area, right? Just a small area. So say, it, say it's an area the size of this building. So yep. it's less than an acre. So and you say, I, I'm going to do that in that little area to, to help things out. Yep. So it's either that, or if we do use an inlet, then we will try to outlet that at a waterway or uh, like we have a couple of these uh, uh, drainage dams, uh, watershed dams. So, I mean, in any area where it's not going right to the river, that's kind of the point. So it's one thing or the other. But, yeah, we just worry about having inlets where potentially soil, chemical, and fertilizer could go right into the tile line, possibly cause issues with the tile line, but more importantly, causing issues downstream and polluting that water downstream. So we want to make sure as farmers, we're doing everything we can. So we send clean water downstream because if we ever send polluted water downstream, we got a lot more chance for regulation, not just for one person, but for all of us. So those are our concerns. Yep. Here's our next question. Okay. This might oh, kind of oh, be. Oh, hey, one, one second. Bye. Before we finish that too. Uh, and I don't think you said this, but if let's just say that you did have an inlet. Where is it going to outlet? You know, that's the other part of that. Yeah, that's what we just talked about. If it's outletting into the river, then that's that's where we have a problem. If it's outletting into a grass waterway, into a wetland, into like in our case, a watershed dam, okay, well now if there were any contaminants, they're going to be stuck there before it ends up going downstream. Yep. So yeah, where you're draining to is really going to be the second part of that question to determine which option you choose. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. This is going to kind of go off the last one. Um, We've got a neighbor 
with a quarter across uh, Township Road from us yep. that drains onto our quarter. Okay. And the issue is there's about four culverts in the half-mile road, Okay. and the water flows across ours, and it'll wash out ours. And I know you said you aren't a fan of surface inlets. How else would you deal with an issue like that in the ditch when it's washing through the ditch down into ours with the volume of water? Yep. Um, we, it, we get this question a lot, too, right around cities. That, that becomes a big issue. I know as Sioux Falls is the big city around our area, and as Sioux Falls has expanded, boy, when you cover a whole section with concrete and asphalt, uh, there's going to be a lot of volume of water that comes off that, and sometimes it all funnels to one point or maybe two points instead of, wow, it could have flown over a whole mile. Now it's really focused on a certain area. So like you said, those culverts have taken, because the road and the culvert and everything else, now it's focused it down to just four points that all this water has to come through. So, yeah, it can be a big, big deal when you get a big rain. Well, I don't know exactly what your situation is, but it, here, here are just some options. One of the things, obviously, you can do, and I get that this uh, costs a little money and wastes a little bit of your ground, is to have a grass waterway for a little ways. And, you know, we've, we've, we still have that in our fields because there is natural drainage, as you can see in a lot of our ground around here. So grass waterway is one option. Another thing you can do uh, is build some type of little uh, uh, basically diversion area or route it a certain way, uh, but it gets pretty challenging if you got lots of water that's coming. So what a lot of people do is put an inlet there. But like I was saying, if there's some way so you don't outlet at a river, then that's, that, that's very helpful. So we, we have this exact same thing where we do have an inlet coming from a neighbor and then we outlet it. Um, I don't remember, if, well, we've got one where it's, I know a grass waterway. We've got another where basically we outlet at another culvert. So I, I mean, like I say, I don't know exactly what your situation is, but all I'm trying to say here, just as a general statement is, please always think about your water. Try to make it as clean as possible. If it's not clean, then we gotta figure out some way to try to make it clean before it ends up in the river. Because otherwise, if we don't do this voluntarily, then the government's gonna force us to do it and they're probably gonna regulate a whole lot more things moving forward. So yeah, and I, I get it, because we have the exact same thing to what you're talking about. All right. Uh, here, yep. Well, let's see. Yep. Are we, yep. Right over here. Okay. And again, if you could give us your first name and the state you're from, that'd be great. It's Myron from Minnesota. You talked earlier about um, having some uh, grades that you weren't happy with. Yep. Probably close to zero grade. Yep. What would it have taken to make that work? Would a tenth of a percent consistently work for you, or would you okay. like to have more than that? Well, we had a chart in the book, uh, and I I didn't spend much time on it, and I'll see if I can go back and uh, and hit that quick here. Let's see. It was it was toward the end of the book. Give me one second, and I'll I'll see if that I can get that pulled up. Um, what is the soil type too? Just curious out of that. Is it sandier soil? Is it heavier? That's a clay? sandy loam soil. Yep. Yeah, that's gonna okay. make a little bit of a difference too on what you need for slope. Page forty-three. Uh, so on, on page forty-three. That's usually what we're talking about for minimum slope, so then we don't have to worry about those tile lines getting plugged up. Uh, let's see here. Oh, did I? Mm. 
Yeah, I'm we got, little, we I'm got all these resources here. When we've got a uh, for anybody listening, this is making great radio. Brian, oh but, my gosh, it's fantastic! Uh, <laughs> yep. when, when Brad's flipping through a PowerPoint here to okay. get back to the slide that had had the answer. All right, and and part of this was all right. So when we take a look at drains not subjected to fine sand or silt, and let's say we got a four-inch line, and this is this is quite frankly what you can go to for a very bare minimum. And you look at that 0.07% slope. It's like, <sighs> we've tried that or real close to, it was, pro it was probably a little bit less than that. It might've been 0.03, whatever. All I can say is I don't like it. So if we can get up above the 0.1, slope, um, it, it, it's very helpful. I would also say the main line is the key. So we mentioned a little bit earlier, if we can get more slope on the main line, that helps get rid of all that water that's coming from all those lateral lines. So if possible, we're trying to run even more slope with the main line. So, and, and again, every situation's probably gonna be a little bit different, but in our particular case, yeah, we tried it at, and I don't, I apologize, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I can, I can guarantee you it was less than 0.1, and it, it just, it just hasn't been what we were after, and so literally uh, three quarters of a mile away, probably, as the crow flies, half a mile away, something like that, we've got this other field where we created our own slope, we, we put a lift station clear down 20 feet in the ground so we could have good slope going to that, and that's been amazing. And we're basically talking the, the same soil, everything else, very close to each other. So we tried it both ways. And that's why we were saying from firsthand experience, we like this a lot better. Just spend the money in the lift station sometime. Sometimes if you have to run everything completely flat. Yep, again, that's something that... Oh, hey, one other thing that I'll add to that. So we outlet into this ox, old oxbow for the river, and sometimes that's got too much water. And so that's part of our problem, too. Whereas if you have a lift station, oh, we can always force it out. All right, lots to learn when it comes to drainage and uh, certainly a lot of situations that we've run into over the years. We're going to get back to taking more of your questions about drainage and other situations coming up right after this. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield-robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. 
Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash US crop. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4. Location? Craver back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking tiling a lot today and drainage because we're just wrapping up the Ag PhD tiling clinic. Uh, if you're listening to the show today on your radio, you can still get your question in. We aren't taking calls today, but we are taking emails. So radio at agphd.com. Let's get to another question here. I'm Scott from Iowa. I'm just curious if you guys have found where tillage practice has impacted how close you'd put the tile together, whether it's strip till or no till. Over a period of four or five years, does the tile become more efficient for their part? Uh, we haven't necessarily seen that, no. I've never seen any study that tillage practice is going to make a difference for overall tile spacing. Now, tillage practice is absolutely going to make a difference in terms of water infiltration. And so, for example, we've had some guys before that say, well, I think there's something wrong with my tile lines. And as it turns out, we go out there and find out, oh, they just have a compaction issue. We alleviate the compaction and all of a sudden water goes down, gets to the tile lines, everything's working again. So, for example, if you switch to no-till or strip-till, you're able to build up your soil's organic matter. You have good infiltration into that soil. Then your soil, I mean, hopefully that water is maybe getting down a little deeper faster things like that but yeah you have to take a look at compaction are we stopping the water before it gets to the tile line or not but no i i've never seen anything where they say based on tile uh, or based on tillage i'm going to change my tile spacing good question though dave from south dakota uh, on the lift stations the yep. example you gave was about 75 acres i think it was yep. covered is that uh, kind of a common number for a, a lift station, or could you have many more acres? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, there are guys around here that'll have, uh, I know one guy has 320 acres going all to one spot, but but you think about how big that's that, a big that pump, pump. Right, that pump's got to <laughs> well, be. And that's the thing. That's the common miscalculation, and I'm sure that got discussed today, but just to, to rehash that just a little bit, is how many gallons of water are going to come? If you had 320 acres and you were trying to drain a quarter inch a day, well, an inch per acre is 27,000. 
So, wow, that would be a lot of gallons of water you'd have to pump out. Yeah, but, I mean, it all depends on, and I've got that uh, here, and the lift station information's on page 44 in your books. But you start talking about how many gallons that is, and, I, I mean, my example here was, okay, let's say I had half an inch drainage coefficient. If I had 320 acres, that's, that's 3,000 gallons a minute, a minute. <laughs> so that's a serious pump. Yeah, it sure right. is. You, you definitely have to have a good understanding banker if you're going to be able to do something like that. I don't know if you could find any of those in the room, but oh, wait, uh, our banker's here, and he's got a question for us. Go ahead. So you talk about a renter paying for the tile and labor in exchange for a reduced rent or a fixed-rate yep. contract. Right. What's a reasonable time period for that? All depends on what the cost is and how, how much yield we feel like we're going to gain. So that... I, I, all, all these negotiations with the landlords, it really becomes a judgment call. And, you know, is corn going to be $7 or is it going to be 3 And so just as an example, like on our farm, we bought our first tile plow in 2007. Well, we lucked out. We ended up with the best at the time, the best corn and soybean prices in history. So the yield gain we had and the calculations we were running were like, okay, it's going to take X number or X amount of time to pay this stuff off. And all of a sudden we're like, um, this just paid for itself in one year. So I, I, I guess I, I would just tell you the deal that we had with the landlord that, that, uh, where we paid for everything, I think we did a five-year deal. So to me, something that's five years is fairly reasonable, but there are going to be some landlords that are 90 years old that go, yeah, I don't really want to make a five-year deal because it might involve my heirs for four of those years or something. So anyway, uh, it's, we still prefer it where the, rent, or the landlord pays for 100% of the bill and the renter just pays more rent. That that way, there's no worry about that. You don't have to do anything long term. But there are some people like the, the landlord we worked with. She just said, look, I'm on a fixed income. I agree with you. I think it does need to be tiled. I think it would help the value of my land. But the problem is I don't have any cash. So can I work with you somehow some other way? And so that's what we did. All right, Brian, had a question on easements, and that, that's another landlord uh, issue and neighbor issue. This one comes in from D, who says, mm -hmm. I got a landlord that refuses to allow a neighbor a drainage issue. And I'm sorry. I have a landlord that refuses to allow a neighbor a drainage <laughs> easement that would also benefit the landlord because it would allow drainage to both farms because they believe the farm can never be sold if it has an easement in place. I know I've bought ground that has easements in place, and it didn't Absolutely. deter me one bit. In fact, oh, it was a positive. I was like, great. I'm glad that they're going to have drainage that's coming out of their farm because their drainage problem is going to end up being my drainage problem. Yeah. So I'm glad they're addressing it. Right. And not that, I'm gonna not that I'm suggesting this or anything else, but let's keep in mind, legally, you can't force someone to get a, an easement from you. They have the right to drain their ground. And so if you say, look, I don't care. I'm not giving you an easement. I'm not going to do anything, whatever. They can drain their ground. And then, unfortunately, you two would end up in court. So when, when you talk about things like that, it's just, okay, let's think about it logically a little bit. We both have a drainage problem. Let, can we just please work together and fix it? And I know you might not like the neighbor or uh, whatever. You're worried about your ground and selling it with an easement. 
but you don't have to have an easement there at all. You just work together, put tile lines running right through your ground. I don't have easements with any of the neighbors with any of the drainage stuff we've done. We just have worked together, said, okay, well, let's do this. We put the tie lines through both of our fields and we're done. Yeah, I, and the other thing you could do is maybe you swap some land. Maybe you change where the boundaries are on that land. I've had two land swaps that I've done uh, in recent years here. And yep. it's, it seems like, oh, that's impossible. I don't know. And every person I've talked to about land swap, Brian, that was their best ground. You know, that's my best ground. So no, of course, I, all I their grounds are best that. ground. Yep. And, and I get it because you know what? Hey, if it's ground that I want, of course, it's probably not the worst ground in the world either to start with. So, uh, yeah, you have to figure out, okay, what's going to be a suitable trade here or compensation on either end. And because maybe the acres don't work out just perfect, that kind of thing. But yep. uh, those things but, are possible. So don't, don't just say, well, it's never going to happen. You never know unless you ask. Yep. All right, Edwin came in from John. He said, I want to ask you about tile with sock around it. You talked yep. about that a little bit yep. today. We said, have some on our ground. He said, does tile with sock slow down the drainage? Here's our background. We're from southern Alberta. We're only using tile to drain some lower spots that accumulate water if it rains too much. Our, our tile is pretty shallow, though. It's only about 16 inches, and the water doesn't seem to drain as quickly as we'd like. 16 inch. Yeah, it, with the tile? That's, that that's really, really shallow. Well, it might not be draining because it might be collapsed in places. That's too shallow. So you, you want to have it at least a couple feet deep. And if it's bigger tile lines, uh, at least two and a half feet deep is all, all the information I've ever been told. So we've never done anything that's, that that's shallow. That's what I've heard too. So a couple things, John. You could have crushed tile line, yep. even just in one little spot that could be plugging it all yep, up. Exactly. You could also have compaction. So maybe if it's just in these these little spots out there, maybe you have compaction. I, I know a farmer in southern Minnesota that had so much compaction, his tile lines weren't running. And he had, at the end of his tile line, he had a lift station and he had a light that would go on when the lift station was pumping. So he could look from his house, he could see this light was on if, if the, the tile was running the lift station was pumping. And he said, it, it, it just never runs anymore and we're wet and I don't know what's going on. Well, he went out and he deep ripped and he dealt with his compaction and it was hard. And he said by that evening out his window, he could see the light was on and it was pumping water and it hadn't rained. Yeah, and It was so, just that much was held back due right. to the compaction. So right. So in addition to that, we talk about having more organic matter, more calcium, all that kind of thing. But I mean, I'll almost guarantee it. 16 inches, there's something that's crushed in there. But anyway, the sock isn't really going to limit how much water goes through. Well, just think about it. If, let's say, okay, and just I realize this is probably a terrible example, but I'm holding a, sh I, I got my shirt that I'm looking down at. If I put my shirt around a tile line, is that really going to stop the water from getting into the tile line? No, of course not. Yeah, well, we've been talking a lot about tiling today, and again, we, we just feel really passionate about it. We know a lot of situations on a farm where it's really helped things. Yeah, one, one thing I would say, so you got to think about why we have that tile, or why we have that sock. It's to prevent fine sand or silt going into that. So, I, I mean, maybe it's possible that so much fine sand and silt built up around the sock that that isn't allowing water to go in there, but you could check that out. I, I doubt that's the issue, but it could be. Yeah, there's a lot of questions when it comes to drainage because every field is a little bit different and, and every situation may have uh, some subtle differences too. If you ever have questions on this or you want to send us uh, examples or pictures or soil samples, we're sure happy to look at them. It's radio at agphd.com. I want to say thanks to everyone who came to our tiling clinic today and watched us online. We really appreciate that. 
And thanks to you for listening to our radio program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.